<clears throat> Good morning. <laughs> right. Good morning. Good morning. I always thought that it's a lot harder to speak to less people than more people because it seems more intimate. <laughs> and I knew at least when there's more people, someone out there might actually be getting something. <laughs> but um, that's a horrible way to intro to God's Word. Um, let's start with the reading of God's Word. So we are finishing up with the book of Matthew. And uh, we did it in three sermons. Um, this is the last. <laughs> and so, uh, obviously, broad strokes. And so, we're going to read the Great Commission. So, Matthew 28, beginning with verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. All of our courage and strength comes from you, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that what we hear is your word this morning, and that uh, you would cause these seeds to grow. God, would you cause them to multiply? Would you use us to reach all the people around us? God, would you draw many, many people to you? God, we want to see revival here. We want to see thousands of people profess a faith in you. We want that because you do. We love you and we give you our attention right now, Father, and we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word. In your name, amen. <clears throat> There's a lot um, going on in the world today. A lot of unjust things. A lot of injustice. We see what's going on in Afghanistan. We have concerns about places like Iran, Russia, China. In our own country, we have racial tensions mounting, critical race theory activists seeking to indoctrinate society, Planned Parenthood with their agenda, abortions by the thousands. We have the gender identity crisis. And our political parties are so at odds with one another that lots of people just hate the one that's on the opposite side. It doesn't matter anymore if we're Christians or if we're Americans. There's so much going on in our world. And while all of that's happening, we have COVID. And we have floods and fires and hurricanes. And some of those of which are being used in various ways to fuel different political agendas like global warming. We have the Green New Deals. All this change happening around us. And it seems more and more that we're living, at least I feel this way, in a culture that is less godly. And that's what 
the Pew Research surveys also indicate, it says that those that are professing to be Christians in America are fewer and fewer. It's taking a big dive. It can feel overwhelming. I know it does for me. I get anxiety. I look at all of it. I think, where can I move to? California, I don't like this or that. I need to go somewhere. Oh, wait, I can't go there. <laughs> There's a hurricane over there. Everything, everything. Just, I just want to escape it. And I get, I get anxiety and I, and I want to see it taken care of. I get so frustrated. I'm like, I, I don't really care how it happens. I just want the button to be pushed. I want the military to go in and take care of the problem. Or I want like someone up in government to just make this decision and make it all go away and make it better. The good news for us to remember this morning is that Jesus is King. And He is on His throne at the right hand of God. And He is in complete control of everything. And He has a plan. And His plan is going to come to fruition and we are going to like it. He is going to take care of all the injustice, all these things that we are seeing that we hate. We need to remember things like Ephesians chapter 6 which says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. You know, the Jewish people in Jesus' time during the first century, uh, they weren't living in a very peaceful time either. There was a lot of tensions going on. They had the Pharisees teaching, the Sadducees teaching. They had the Roman government that was there and they were in control of everything. They were bringing in their, their different views, their Hellenistic Greek thought to everything, and it, and it was all a big discombobulation, and they had a lot of frustration. They were oppressed. They felt frustrated and confused as well. And the Bible tells us that these kinds of tensions have been going on throughout all history to varying degrees. And just like you and I probably get so frustrated and sometimes feel defeated, so have God's people throughout history. And they too just wanted action. They wanted it to be taken care of. They wanted God to just, God, would you just wipe out these people and just take care of these problems? The problem is them. Go handle it. Go, go do what, what you do, God. You have the power and authority. And God just wasn't doing it on their timeline. They didn't have enough control of God. They wanted things done their way. And so what do they do? They said, we want to be like the other nations. They seem to have it together. We would like a king. And so the people went to uh, Samuel the prophet in 1 Samuel 8.5 and they said, uh, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Samuel is, of course, greatly distressed. So he goes and he prays to God about the situation and God tells him, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have rejected me from being king over them. God made it clear right then that their desire to have an earthly person to be their king to rule over them was a direct rejection of Him. Since sin entered the world, mankind has been removed from fellowship with God, which has brought about chaos and confusion and evil to the likes of which we see on TV and hear in the news every time we turn it on. And even so, even after our fellowship with God was separated in the garden, 
and death became the penalty for our sin, God still graciously opened up His arms and He said, You can be mine. I am here for you. Come all to me and I will give you rest. I will give you salvation. He said over and over again in the Old Testament, He said, Obey all that I command you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. But we the people don't want to be under God. We want to be under a king. Or today it's our president and all the powers that they have. Dysfunctional as our government may seem, our society looks to the government often before it looks to God to govern us. I know I do. Since the fall, mankind has rejected God as our king and we've sought a substitute a governing body that we feel we have more control over. And it hasn't worked out too well because we have sinful hearts. We need God to guide us. We've always needed God to guide us. You remember the reason why God was so happy with Solomon and He blessed him? It's because Solomon, even though that he was an earthly king, realized that he could not govern the people well unless he had wisdom from God. So he prayed and he asked God to give him wisdom to discern right and wrong. And God was pleased with that. He blessed him abundantly. The evils that we hate in this world, like seeing things in Afghanistan, the hatred with all the different races and stuff going on in our own country and all over the world, abortion, they're all happening because we have wicked hearts. We have sin in our hearts. Just like it says in Romans chapter 3, In all of the tensions and injustices the people were facing in the first century were all because of the sin that was in their hearts. Eventually, the people of God, even though God allowed them to have a king over them, eventually, the people realized that wasn't working too well either. (laughs) So then they turn back to the Scriptures and they start looking at the prophecies and they put their hope in a coming Messiah. A king. But they failed to understand the over 300 prophecies which explained how Jesus was going to establish His kingdom. Jesus went to the root of the problem. He conquered sin and death by dying on the cross for our sin. And as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have direct access to the only King that has authority over all the nations of the earth. We have direct access to the only King who can cause military defeat or victory. He can overturn Roe versus Wade. He can stop COVID or increase the spread of COVID in order to show people that they need Him. He can stop hurricanes. He has complete authority to carry out His Father's will. And the good news is, is His Father's will is to save mankind from sin. The root of all the chaos. Amen. The book of Matthew ends with the Great Commission. The culmination of Jesus' ministry. Here it is. Here is the end. We, we, We watch Jesus... And, and his life and his time with his disciples and we've read all of his teaching and we saw all that he did. And it comes to these last few verses. 
in the Great Commission. And after Jesus rose from the dead, He met His disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Matthew 28, verse 16 says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. So there's Jesus coming to them. They're there waiting, and they see Jesus, and they worship. But some had doubts. And in response, Jesus began by comforting His disciples. He said in verse 18, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. It's said that Matthew's favorite noun for Jesus is authority. He uses it seven times to describe Jesus in, in the book of Matthew. And 32 times he uses the signature phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Where in the other Gospels it says the kingdom of God. Why is it that Matthew is so focused on this idea of king in the kingdom of heaven and the establish of a kingdom? It's because of the audience that he's speaking with. He's speaking primarily to the Jewish people. The people that have had the Old Testament Scriptures, that have been going over all the prophecies, that are sitting there and they're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for this King to arrive. They know that this King is supposed to be in the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and King David. And so that's why the book begins with the genealogy of King Jesus. And these people, the disciples that are sitting there and they're on the mountaintop with Jesus right now, many of them had been following Him throughout His ministry because it might not just be the 11 disciples. It might be the time when He appeared to over 500. We don't know for sure. But there's all these people there. They've been with Him through all this. They've seen the miracles. They've watched Him die. Well, they've watched Him from afar. If you remember the disciples, at least the 11, they were scared and they scattered. It was the women who stayed there alongside Jesus by the grace of God. And they saw all this happen, and they were afraid. And then they heard the message that Jesus is risen. They said, go to the mountainside. Jesus is going to be there. Go wait for Him. And they're there, and they look at Jesus, and they say, oh my goodness, and they worship Him. And they have some doubt. And I'd like to say, I mean, I could imagine that some of them were probably just following at Jesus' feet and wrapping their arms around Him, just like Mary did when Jesus visited her right after she was leaving the tomb that was empty, after she had spoken with the angel, and he said, go tell the disciples. And she's on her way off, and all of a sudden Jesus shows up, and he says in verse 9 of Matthew 28, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples and began, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. We can only imagine, right? Like the song. You and I have the Holy Spirit in us. If we know Jesus, we have been moved. We've been moved out of, the, out of nowhere before while we're singing a hymn, while, while we're reading the Word of God, while we're going about our day, and sometimes there's just a tear that comes down our eye and we just are touched by God and the Holy Spirit. We know some of what they're feeling, but can you imagine to be them in that moment right there before Jesus and clinging on to them? There's that worship, and then there's the doubt. In the midst of the worship, it says the disciples doubted. Now, it doesn't tell us more about the doubt. All we have is they doubted. 
We don't know what the doubt was rooted around. But we see that in the same sentence, there's worship and doubt. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like our Christian walk. We're convinced Jesus is Lord. We've tasted Him, been changed by Him. We have a relationship with Him. But we still have doubt sometimes. Jesus knew exactly what those disciples were thinking and feeling right in that moment. He knew they were doubting. He knew they were worshiping. Just like He knows how each of us are thinking and feeling right at this moment with all that's going on in the world. And did how did Jesus react? How did He respond? Did He reprimand them? No. No. He encouraged them. He came to them. He was patient with them. Just like He was all throughout the Gospels. Jesus was patient. Knowing that they're still having doubts. That's how Jesus is in our walk with Him. He's patient with us, always telling us the truth in every situation, even when it's hard to hear some of the truth. And He loves us, and He's bringing us along, and He's discipling us and continuing to do that. It's also true that it's pretty logical that some of these disciples would have some doubt. Then it must have been confusing. I mean, definitely they, they saw what was a miracle. They knew He was dead. And they're talking to him. But they're, they're, they've been trained and they've been hearing forever and ever that this isn't how the Messiah is supposed to come. In their minds. They're interpreting different passages like Isaiah chapter 9, verse 8, um, when it says that the Messiah would have the government upon his shoulders. They, they believe that's going to be something like he's going to, he's going to come in and he's going to outrun it, root all the the Romans out of the way. He's going to come militarily and take over. They were confused. The people didn't understand that the coming king would gain the hoped-for victories through suffering. The people thought that the main problem was external. They thought that all the issues was everything that was going on around them. Jesus, come. The Messiah needs to come and take care of this, 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 and that. That's what the Jewish people were teaching them. They were teaching them, this is how you live. You need to live a certain way, observe certain laws, in which eventually equated to a works-based religion. Very legalistic. They thought that they were obeying the Scriptures, but they failed to see the whole point of the Scriptures. God said over and over again throughout Scripture, He desires mercy and not sacrifice. He said over and over again, He cares about their hearts. He wanted them to come to Him wholeheartedly. That's why King David's worship of Jesus and God was so taken and blessed by God is because it says in Scripture that David was a man after God's own heart. He worshipped Him from his heart, even through his failures. So, God cares about all the external problems going on. He cares so much so that He has a mission to defeat all the evils of the world, 
evil governments, peoples, everything that's evil, and he does it by dealing with the hearts. The hearts of the people. That's why Jesus spent time preaching the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, 5 through 7. Jesus taught the listeners that their faith in God was an issue of worshiping God wholeheartedly, not just on the outside. In Matthew 22:36, a Pharisee approached Jesus and asked him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Jesus wants evil dealt with, and He deals with it by dealing with the condition of sinful hearts. He gets to the heart of the issue. And He does it by suffering and dying. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever will believe in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. The main issue is that sin separated us from God and brought death. So out of love, Jesus died on the cross as the sacrificial lamb. And He did it during the very hour that the sacrificial lamb for the Passover was being slain. On the very day that happens once a year. There's the symbolic lamb being slain. And then there's Jesus, the true lamb that is being slain. And in being slain, He provided us access to Him. Matthew 27, 50-51 And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and He yielded up His spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We know what that means. We know that we now have access through God by the atonement for our sins. Jesus paid the price and the penalty for our sins on the cross so that we're able to come into direct presence with Almighty God. The Holy of Holies in the temple was the room that God chose to dwell. And He only permitted the high priest once a year to go into the Holy of Holies to worship Him. And they tied the rope around the priest's ankle just in case the glory of God killed him. And they, didn't, and they couldn't go in there to get the body and they needed to pull him back out. Now, we have direct access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. All because He died in our place. So Jesus comforts His doubtful disciples, His worshiping disciples, by telling them that He has all authority in heaven and on earth. Now here's where we can ask a good question. After making clear to His disciples that He has authority, did Jesus then comfort them by saying He was going to relieve Caesar of His duties? No. Why? Because He already had more authority than Caesar. In fact, He had authority over all of the Caesars all over the world. One of the gold nuggets uh, that I got when I was studying this that I was really just thinking about, and I was like, man, this is so cool, is the fact that God has such power and authority and He is so sovereign over even His enemies that He can bring about confession about His deity from the mouths of His enemies. You realize that? It says, 
at, at the Last Supper, you may remember, Jesus told his disciples that one of them would betray him. And Judas asked, is it I? Jesus replied, you have said so. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, you have said so. And then, remember, there was a sign that was put above Jesus' head on the cross that was supposed to have the, the crime that he committed inscribed on it. And it said, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. And while he's up there, the soldiers, they're mocking him and they're kneeling down before him and they're saying, Hail, King of the Jews! All of which is true. And all of which came out of the mouths of his enemies. Kind of reminds us of Revelation 5.13 where Jesus tells us one day every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And He is going to establish His kingdom on earth. One free of crying and tears. Free of all the chaos and things that are going on. And He is going to establish His kingdom. The same King that is able to make His enemies confess who He is. Did it then and He's going to continue to do it in the future. And at that moment, all of these things, all the injustice, all of the waiting. You think of like, for 400 years, all of the slaves and stuff that were in Egypt, they're saying, God, where are you? We've seen what's happened since then until now, and God is going to continue to hold fast to His Word all the way to the very end. So the answer is no. Jesus, at that moment, did not push Caesar off of His throne because He didn't have to. His authority far surpassed Caesar's. Jesus was focused on the big game plan. To save those who are lost. And the good part is, is that you and I are also included in his plan to save the lost. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. King Jesus orders us and he orders his disciples, go! Go and make disciples and baptize them. The general, with all authority, with the perfect ops plan, has ordered his disciples to go and make disciples. Are we more concerned with wearing a mask or making disciples? Let's get our focus on the mission. The Great Commission. And trust Jesus, our King. He has the best plan for us. Our focus needs to be His focus. When we're overwhelmed and we think there's no hope or we're frustrated that things are getting changed right now, remember, His mission is our mission. What He wants is ultimately what we want. We can trust and depend on Him. Amen.
Who knows? Maybe if we trust in him and pray to him, maybe he'll stop COVID. We have no idea. But once again, he knows. And therefore, we trust him. (laughs) Um, The Bible commentator that I was reading um, as I was going through all my studying said that the go therefore can also be translated as get moving. And so I immediately thought of when I turned 18 and my parents told me, get moving. <laughs> They're right here. Um, yeah, I, I, it was all right. I live with Jake, Jacob Hayes. But they, they, they had spent a lot of money on me. They fed me a lot. They taught me all that they knew. And then it came to that time and they said, all right, get out, get moving. And so Jesus says to them, get moving, go make disciples. So how do we make disciples? How does Jesus want us to make disciples? He wants us to go after his example. He wants us to follow his example in making disciples. By patiently, lovingly living life alongside with all the rest of the people that are around us here in our community and teaching them all, all, all that Jesus has commanded us. Not just John 3.16. He wants us to teach all that He commanded. Which means that we need to know His Word. Are we in His Word? Do we know what His Word says? Are we ready in season and out of season when we're in that conversation or we're at the store or we're going alongside all the rest of our friends just in our workplace or whatever, do, do we have the mindset of Christ and are we ready at that given moment to comfort or to correct or whatever the case may be with the Word of God? But you might say, my work doesn't let me talk about Jesus. Or, might be concerned with offending someone. I have some of those concerns too. Jesus was not concerned in the sense with that. He tells us that He is with them all the time. He didn't say He is with them after 5 o'clock after they get off work to go and tell someone about Jesus. He says, I am with you always. Go. Speak. Tell the truth. Trust that if you get reprimanded at work, He will be there. He is king, not only with authority and power to remove governments and what have you, but he also has the money. He also has the resources to feed. He told his disciples, go, get out and go. Don't take with you the staff or the tunic or whatever the case may be. He said, trust in him. Be ready. Just go. Trust Jesus. Jesus is going to be there to help carry out what he is commanding. Jesus says to them in the very last verse of the book, He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And where it says, I'm with you always, it can also be translated all the days or the whole of every day. So basically, Jesus is saying, I'm with you every hour, every second of every day. That's comforting. He has all authority and He's always with us. Therefore, go. Go make disciples. I try to think of like uh, an example or or something in my life that, that we're going through at different times. I, I, I there's times where I'm getting ready to eat 
and I'm thinking, I'm about ready to pray, and I consciously think like, well, I wonder what they think of me over there while I'm going to... I mean, that's minuscule. That's lame. I shouldn't even feel that way. But how about other things? How about bigger things? How about just speaking the truth when it's important? Naomi uh, works at Fortuna High School as a one-on-one aide, and she was, she's been in a couple of these classes now where they're teaching Planned Parenthood. And she came home really concerned after hearing what's being taught. And a lot of you probably can guess, but for a whole week, kids are being taught so much stuff these days about basically saying, hey, it's, it's okay to have premarital sex, is basically the tone. And they're also teaching, hey, if you get uh, pregnant and you need an abortion, here's how you would do it around your parents' knowledge. I mean, that, that is what's being taught in our schools all over the state right now. And Naomi came home and er- like, I was angry inside. I was frustrated. I, I felt defeated. I mean, there's, there's a law in place. Planned Parenthood has so much power. We'll just, we'll just opt our kids out of it and we'll pray and hope something happens. Right? But I felt like it would have been sin not to at least talk or do something. So, so we've had some meetings and we have related in those meetings that our concerns are rooted in our Christian faith. And I hope with all my heart that as any truth comes out of our mouths, and I'm, not, I'm just using that as an example, but any truth coming out of our mouths in all of these things is seed going into soil. And we're hoping that it takes root on any ear, any heart that is hearing it. You never know. Maybe that is the start of someone's walk with Christ. Now, someone might say, Alan, you're taking this out of context. This is the Great Commission. This is all about that week during the, the year where we pass out tracts to people we don't, ha- don't even know and we hand it to them and then we just walk away and that's it. Well, then why does it say teaching all that I have commanded you? And why does it say go and make disciples? Jesus didn't make disciples on one week a year. He lived with them. He went through suffering with them. He taught them. He was the example to them. He was ready to give comfort. He was ready to be patient when it was time to be patient. And He was ready to crack a whip when there was a, when there was a need for a whip to be cracked. Each of us are in different kinds of jobs, different states of our, our walk and our time here um, in society, and, and we have different kinds of influences. Some of us are on the internet, blogging, whatever the case may be. Are we looking to make disciples as we're living here on this earth? So let's pray for one another to be bold and courageous and to teach everyone all around us, all the time, all that Jesus has commanded us. And it's true that we might suffer persecution for this, but it's probably not going to be to the point of death like the disciples had to go through or like a lot of the people that were hearing this directly from Jesus at the time in the first century. It's very likely that a lot of them were going to be persecuted for their faith, just like there is some places in our world today. I would like to close with reading John chapter 21 verses 15 through 23. And the reason why I want to close with this is because it shows the scene after Jesus has died 
and, and raised again, and he's with Peter. And so we see in this passage Peter's desire to worship God, and we see that he loves God, and then we also see that he's afraid. He's afraid of persecution. So let's, let's let this passage minister to us. So, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, I'm not going into every part of this passage, but the more than these has been speculated. It's obviously something that's important to, to Peter, but maybe because he's a fisherman, maybe it's the fish. So, do you, do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than who knows? And Peter said, responded to Jesus, He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Make disciples. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, Follow me. Continuing in that passage, Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. It's John. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Trust me. Jesus says, I have a plan. I have a mission. I'm calling you. You are mine. Go and make disciples. Do not worry. If your calling is to suffer to the point of death, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So scary. So good. So true. 
We know from extra-biblical texts that Peter was crucified upside down. He was crucified upside down because he did not count it worthy to be crucified like Jesus was, his Lord and Savior. We know that he loved Jesus all the way to the point of death. So we know also when Jesus said to him, and lo, I'm with you always, he was to the point of death. And we also know that Peter right now is happy he did. Happy that he did follow Jesus to the point of death. Whether we'll be spared persecution like John or put to death like Peter, King Jesus is with us. Therefore, let's trust and obey the command to go out and make disciples, which is the antidote for all of our problems. Amen? Let's pray and have communion. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we are weak, but You are strong. Help us to trust in You. I pray, Father, that we would worship You wholeheartedly. Thank You so much for Your sacrifice. Thank You for Your words. Please receive our worship as we sing right now and speak to us as we take communion. Your name.
So going to the passage out of Matthew in Matthew 26, verse 26. Um, It's the institution of the Lord's Supper passage. It says, Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take it, take, eat. This is my body. Verse 27, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Amen. Please stand as we um, close. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to
Christian soldiers marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus going on before. Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and There's some food and refreshments in the back. You're welcome to fellowship afterwards. 